Hi, this is Dr. John Ankerberg. I invite you to dig into God's Word today with my dear friend, the late Dr. Wayne Barber, as he leads you verse by verse through the Bible. Well, would you turn with me today to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. I would figure by this time your Bible now is just opening by itself. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 1, and this is really part 2 of what we began last week. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 1. Now, I hope you, you understand what Paul's doing here. If, if a believer, you or me, if, if Paul were living today, we chose to walk away from the relationship, intimacy, moment by moment, depending upon Christ, and we choose to go back to a works mentality a religious mindset, if the Apostle Paul was living today, he would stand here and say, oh, foolish people. That's what he would say. You say, how do you know that, Wayne? Because that's exactly what he said to the Galatians, and that's exactly what they did. He says in verse 1 of Galatians chapter 3, oh, foolish Galatians. Now, we learned last week that that word foolish is the word anitos. Uh, it's an interesting little word. It means without understanding, ah, which means without, and then noose, which means to understand, without understanding, when you're ignorant of something. But the interesting thing about this word that we discovered is that this is an intentional ignorance. It's ignoring what you already know. It's not something that you don't know. It's, it's ignoring what you do know. I call it stupidity, but, and, and, I, and I don't want to be offensive with that. I keep remembering how my mother said, don't call anything stupid but I don't know anything else to call it. I'm serious. If you know something and, and you do something differently, that's just stupid. Now, if you don't know, that's ignorant. But if you do know and you choose to do it anyway, that's stupidity. That's, that's my definition. So again, I apologize if, it, if it's offensive to anyone. I just call it stupid. Oh, stupid Galatians is what he says. We saw last time that Jesus actually uses this same phrase to two of his disciples walking down the road to Emmaus on Resurrection Sunday morning when they should have been celebrating Jesus is alive. They're walking down the road talking only about his death on the cross. And Jesus just came along and walked with them. He kept them from seeing who he was. They couldn't discern that. And so he just started asking them some questions. And then he said to them, oh, foolish ones, he said, slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets have spoken. In other words, you, you've looked at the Bible as a cafeteria line. You've grabbed what you wanted to believe, but you didn't believe all that the prophets have spoken. And that term slow of heart means to intentionally delay making a choice. They knew that the prophets had spoken, but they just had an agenda, didn't they? Their agenda was they wanted Jesus to rule on this earth and set up his kingdom, kick the Gentiles out, and everything would be wonderful. They didn't understand, or they did understand. They just ignored. They chose not to pay attention to Isaiah 53. And all of their prophets, they said Jesus had to die on the cross. So what is this foolishness we're talking about? It's when we know something, but we choose to willfully ignore it. So it's out of sheer frustration that Paul says, oh, foolish Galatians. He didn't mean to demean them. That's not what he's doing. How many of you here have had teenagers at some point in your life, in your family. <laughs> now, do I have to explain any more about what he's doing? How many times have you told your child over and over, and they know better, but they do it anyway. 
and you look at them and say, I never did say old foolish ones. <laughs> I just wanted to say some other things, but I didn't. You understand what he's doing here. He's just exasperated. Here's a teacher of the word of grace. And here are these people he has taught walking away from it. Paul had clearly stated in verse 21, I do not nullify the grace of God. He says, for if righteousness, of chapter 2, he says, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. You realize what these Galatians have done? And what we do when we choose to go back to this performance mentality, trying to earn our righteousness, and our righteousness is only in Christ. When we do that, we actually, unwittingly, what we do, we declare the death of Jesus Christ as being totally unnecessary. And that's his point. You can't have religion and Christianity and, and have them peacefully coexist. They're two different things altogether. Religion denies the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why do I say that? Because it depends upon our works rather than depending upon what he did for us at the cross. By buying into the religious mentality, they rendered the death of Jesus on the cross as needless. So Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, verses 1, 2, and 3, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Now we want to continue today to look and see what this foolish living is all about. We need to understand it. If for no other reason, at least you'll know where you are in your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ by what's going on inside and outside around you. First of all, we have the situation. That's the first thing he, he identifies here, the situation. How many times have you heard me say, sin will take you further than you ever want to stray, keep you longer than you ever intended to stay, and cost you more than you ever dreamed you'd pay. That's exactly what's happening here. By saying, oh, foolish Galatians, again, he's accusing them of intentionally ignoring what they had learned and experienced about the message of grace. Now, maybe you've just joined us today and you don't really know the background. Let me just give you one verse to help you to see what happens. These religious false teachers had come into the southern Galatia and had deceived these people. And Paul has said way back in chapter 1, verse 6, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. They had bought into deception. They had bought into this message, I've got to do something to earn or to measure up to what God wants in my life. They had been deceived by the teachers of law. And therefore, they had nullified the relationship that God offered them in Christ. Now, when any believer is foolish in their walk, when any believer today or back then, immediately he, his whole behavior begins to change. Have you ever wondered how a believer can be so excited about Jesus one time and you see them six months later and all of a sudden there's something completely different about them? There's no joy in their life. They're condemning and critical, etc. Now, there's going to be a behavioral change when we choose to go back to religion. Now, what we're going to see is when the rubber meets the road. This is when it gets down to brass tacks. This is going to get a little, little, little tough. I want you to know that ahead of time. And what we're going to say today is nothing compared to what's coming. I mean, I want to tell you. He's going to dig deep and he's going to show us what happens when we choose to live foolish lives. Paul says this by asking a question. He says, who has bewitched you? 
Now that little word bewitched is very picturesque. It's the word bascano or baskino, as some people say. It means to put somebody under a spell. When I studied this word, I was amazed to find that it was used with people, superstitious people, like in black magic, put somebody under a spell. And in the Old Testament, when it was talked about giving an evil eye, and their superstition, when it was put in the Septuagint, would be the word Boscano. Their superstition would say that you can put an evil eye on somebody and put them under a spell. That's where the word comes from. Who has put you under their spell? But I found something very interesting. There's also the use of the word, which means to puff somebody up by false words. To sort of walk around and say, oh man, I just really appreciate you, but you know good and well you don't. And you begin to start building somebody up with false words. Now think about that for a second. Why would Paul, under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, choose this particular word to describe what has happened to the Galatian people? He compares being deceived and impressed with yourself falsely with witchcraft. He says, you're under a spell. Somebody has duped you. In other words, what has happened is, when you're into religious works, you can look at yourself and say, man, I am really spiritual. I had my quiet time four times in the last two days. <laughs> uh, I passed out 75 tracks on Thursday afternoon at four o'clock. I've done all, look, look how spiritual I am. And Paul compares that kind of false ego, he compares that to witchcraft. You see, religious works, our flesh loves it because it loves the credit. It wants to do something for God. Wayne, give me a list of things I can do. Don't tell me I have to relate to God. That's too hard because if I relate to Him, I have to see my own sinfulness. But if I can do something for Him, that sure is a better way for me. And Paul said, who has bewitched you? Who has put this spell over you that makes you think you can do anything for God other than bow before Him? It had totally changed their whole behavior, totally changed their behavior. They live now as if they had never heard Paul say a single word. Now let me explain this behavioral change in a little different way. You can be foolish before salvation and certainly you can be foolish after salvation. Foolishness is foolishness, no matter which side of the cross you look at. And it always has the same progressive downhill plunge. You'll see it on both sides of the cross. Let me show you that. Look in Titus chapter 3 in verse 3. Titus chapter 3 and verse 3. Paul uses this word again. Titus chapter 3 and verse 3. He talks about the time back when he was a religious man. And he says something to Titus that's very important here. Titus chapter 3 and verse 3. Titus 3 and verse 3. It says, For we also once were foolish ourselves. Now, Paul takes us back to the time that he was a lost man, a religious man, but a lost man. He says, we were once foolish ourselves. Now, he's going to add some words to this that help you better understand what goes along with this foolishness, where the behavioral change begins to take place. He adds the word disobedient. That's the next word. When you're foolish, you're going to be disobedient. That word disobedient is the word apethos. It's the word ah, as you see on the screen. Ah means without. And then pitho means the willingness to be persuaded by truth. In other words, he says, when I was foolish, I was unwilling, now listen, to let truth persuade me. I was unwilling to let truth change me. Therefore, I was a foolish man. So disobedient and foolish go right along hand in hand. 
He may have known the truth, but he was unwilling to let the truth change his life. Foolish Christians are those who know better, but refuse to be persuaded by the truth that they already know. Then he uses another word in Titus that describes this word foolish. He uses the word deceived, deceived. And that word deceived is the word planao, P-L-A-N-A-O, as you see on the screen. It means to wander around, to be led astray. We get the word planet from it. It's kind of, and my, my definition is, it's like a person who's in outer space. He just wanders around. He's wishy-washy. He doesn't know where he is. I love that little term about the mugwump, a bird that sits on a fence with his mug on one side and his wump on the other, never can make up his mind which side he wants to get on. Well, that's kind of the way this person is. Do you know anybody like that? They claim to be a believer. They claim to be a believer. They said they've received Jesus in their heart, but they don't know where they're going, and they don't even know where they are in the Christian walk. They're wishy-washy. One day they're hot, one day they're cold. They, you just can't seem to, to predict where they're going to go. This is a behavioral change that comes when you go back to that old foolish way of living. But now, when that condition begins to be rooted in our lives, the behavioral change is immediate. The behavioral change is immediate. First of all, we become slaves to sin. We become slaves to sin. It says in verse 3, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures. Wow. The very thing he's chosen now, he, it becomes his master. When you choose to walk after the flesh, whether it be religious or rebellious, it's going to control you. It's going to take over in your life. And as a result of that, the sin is rampant. Have you ever seen a believer who has a particular sin? He's fallen into that trap, and now it somehow is, is overbearing in his life? That's, that's what it's trying to say. If you go the religious route, that's what's going to happen somewhere down the road. You're going to end up as being a slave to sin. You say, Wayne, I, I, I don't quite understand this. Well, <laughs> just ignore the truth that you know right now, and you will understand it very quickly. You'll become a slave to the very thing you've chosen to obey. That's what Romans 6 talks about. He says, you, whoever you submit yourself to, you be, it becomes your master. But this behavioral change, it starts inwardly. It starts inwardly. The joy is gone. There's a, you don't even know where you are anymore. You, a church doesn't do anything for you. Every Christian is wrong except for you. I mean, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a bad state to be in. You're enslaved to the very sin that you've chosen. But then it begins to show outwardly. And it's the inwardly is the slavery, but outwardly you begin to realize it shows up in your relationships. He goes on to say in verse 3, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Have you ever wondered how a church could split? Have you ever wondered about that? How Christians that have been changed and converted by the blood of Jesus can all of a sudden become so mean and they can become so divisive and critical and judgmental and it can even split a church. Ever wondered about that? Well, it's easy. When people choose to ignore truth and they choose not to let it change their lives, it's going to change their behavior and it's going to show up in their relationships. I understand right now three out of every four marriages end in divorce. And I found out the other day that one of the surveys said that most of these people getting divorced are claiming to be believers. How can a husband and a wife that enter into a covenant so quickly divide and walk away from each other, hateful and hating one another? It's very easy. You can hear truth till you fall over in the floor. I can hear it. I mean, it doesn't mean just you, it's all of us. And if we choose to ignore it, we're going to choose a foolish way of living. As a result, we're going to become a slave to whatever it is we have chosen. And it's going to show up in our relationships. It's going to show up in our relationships. 
believers act as if they're under a spell when they go back to that religious mentality. And I want to share with you over and over again, religion offers you nothing, folks. No promise of the future. It offers you nothing but blood, sweat, and tears. And I guarantee you there's a, there's a rung of that ladder you'll never be able to attain. But Christ has accomplished every bit of that for you. And all we need to understand is, if you'll just open our eyes, is just to bow before Him and let the one who can do it and will do it, do it through our lives. That's what grace is all about. And what Paul is trying to do by saying, oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? He's bringing them back to some sanity here. He's trying to show them you're in the state that you're in because you have willfully ignored the truth of what sets you free. There's a definite character that is produced when you're living under grace in contrast to what happens to us when we choose to walk after the flesh. Religious people do not relate. They ruin relationship. But Christ in us builds relationship. In chapter 5, verse 22, which we'll probably get to about three or four years from now, <laughs> but when we, get, when we get there, we're going to look at the character He produces in our life. The fruit of the Spirit working in our life is love, joy, peace. And you know the list. And all of these other things characterize that love. But that love is dismissed. That love is gone when we choose to walk and live a foolish lifestyle. When we choose to ignore grace, we ruin relationships. Now he says, who has bewitched you? Now this is most interesting. That little word who, and you know in my mind, I've got to look at every word, who uh, is, is in the singular there, and it's in the Greek, it's the word tis, T-I-S. As you see on the screen, it refers to someone the author either doesn't know or he chooses not to mention by name. And I don't know what the situation here. I, knowing the Apostle Paul, he probably knew who it was and uh, just chose not to mention it. I, I don't know if that's true or not. But whoever this person was, he had many people doing, and doing his bidding. He didn't have to, doesn't take but one person, that's all it takes, to propagate error. And that error begins to ruin relationships. And, the, and as a result of that, the churches begin to falter in the midst of it. Only takes one. Now, we don't know who this guy is, like I said, but everybody was up under their, his spell. You know, I, I, I tell you what, he must have been pretty good doing what he's doing. If he could affect every church in all of southern Galatia, just by what he came up with and trying to put them back up under the Mosaic law. Man, he must have been good. He must have had the charisma. He must have had the looks. He must have had whatever it was it took to captivate people and make them feel better about themselves that if they go to work for God rather than let God work through them, that that would be the best route, whoever it was. And by the way, it only takes one. It only takes one. I wonder who the one is at Hoffmantown. I wonder who it is. <laughs> Wayne, you don't know. They're not. Hey, I'm just wondering. I didn't say I knew who it was. I'm just, I wonder who it is. I wonder who it is. Listen, we're in the process right now of praying about who the elders are that God has selected. You just better pray hard that we don't get an elder that looks good on the outside but has this kind of mentality on the inside. It can only take one that will, will bring the whole thing down. It's incredible how one little bit of leaven can, can leaven the whole lump. I mean, it's amazing. I wonder who the who is here. Well, Paul had to say to them in chapter 4, verse 15, as a result of their buying into what this guy had said, it says, where then is that sense of blessing that you had? You've had a complete behavioral change. You're not the same people that I used to know when I was with you, Paul said. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has put you under their spell? I'll tell you folks, don't ever think that you are beyond being deceived back into works. 
It's such a subtle thing. It's such a subtle thing. The moment you pick on, choose anything to depend upon other than Christ and His Word, you have just made a serious mistake. When I was at Woodland Park, people wanted to make us a mission-minded church and be known for missions. Others wanted to be, be known for evangelism. Others wanted us to be known for teaching the Word. But I'm telling you folks, there's a trap in all three of those. We need to be known for a Christ-centered church. And the more we're focused on Him, the more we're focused on mission. The more we're focused on Him, the more we're focused on the Word. The more we're focused on Him, the more we're focused on evangelism. But if anything clouds that focus, and you begin to put your dependence into anything other than the Lord Jesus having already accomplished what you're trying to accomplish and His sufficiency in your life, then at that very moment you've chosen a foolish thing even though it looks good in the eyes of other people. It's a very deceitful, subtle thing to get back up under the mentality of works. You begin to depend upon what you can do for God rather than what God wants to do through you. I've done it. Has anybody else here done it besides me? <laughs> Some of you just say, well, I'm not about to tell you. <laughs> and your wife is sitting there saying, yeah, I know good and well you have because I watch you at home. You see, the great revivals that happened in the northern part of New York by Charles Finney. How many of you remember Charles Finney? Anybody remember Charles Finney, the great revivalist? Oh my goodness. You need to be studying the church revival and church history. Find out where the great revivals that hit America came from. And Charles Finney, up in the northern part of the state of New York, preached his heart out, and there were revivals everywhere. But I was at a conference up in New York, and they took me out to show what had happened. What's the result now? We were going up there now preaching the same message that he preached years ago. And we found the churches with chains and padlocks on them. And I said, what in the world happened? This was where revival once took place. They said the church went back to religion. They formalized and they died. God wrote Ichabod over every one of them. You see, folks, religion cannot do it. And religion and Christianity cannot peacefully coexist. So what's the situation there in Galatia? He says, oh, foolish Galatians. How many times in my life has he had to say, oh, foolish Wayne who has bewitched you? Who's put you under their spell? Wayne, you're, you're spinning your wheels trying to do what you already know you can't do. Why don't you just let me do it in and through you? I wonder if that's your situation this morning. Who has bewitched you? You're living behaviorally as if you've never even heard the message of grace. What's happened? Well, secondly, we have the humiliation. It is a very humiliating thing when a person's been saved by grace, they've participated in that grace, and then they choose to walk away from it. Take me a moment or two to develop this. When a preacher preaches truth like Paul, and he sees the people respond to it, and he sees their lives change, and then he sees them turn and go back to that old religious mindset where he has been himself, that's a very aggravating thing. I sense this aggravation when Paul says, Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Then he says, Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Now, this verse does not mean that they were there at the crucifixion. If you read it very carelessly, that's what it's going to look like. That's not what he's saying. The little phrase publicly portrayed is the key to the whole thing. The words publicly portrayed are actually one word in the Greek. It's prographo, prographo. A prographo means to set forth clearly by public proclamation. It means to, to say something in a, in a preaching manner, in a speaking manner, 
to where people see it so clearly it is as if they were actually there. The word can mean to, to portray, to draw a picture. And the Apostle Paul says, when I came to you and when I preached a marvelous message of grace, he said, you saw it. You saw it as if you were there. And in that very moment, that's the thing that broke your hearts. When you realize that Jesus had to come and die for your sin, all of a sudden, all the religious direction you've ever had in your life disappeared and, and fell away because you realize only Jesus and what he did on the cross could in any way ever affect our salvation. And that broke your heart. You saw it. It was clearly portrayed as I preached to you. And you bowed before it and you received the resurrected Christ into your heart. They had clearly seen it. This is, this is the heart that is ripped out when a preacher preaches the message and people have seen it. They've seen it. They've been changed by it. And in doing so, now they have, what they have done is turned back to a religious mindset which has, you know, in effect, humiliated Paul. They've humiliated the Lord Jesus. They've humiliated the message itself by turning back. You were changed by that. Paul said. It is so humiliating. Now let's make certain we understand this. For us to go back to an old works mentality. I keep saying this, somehow before Galatians is over, you will understand it. I guarantee it, because Paul is not going to let us off the hook. He's going to keep bringing us back, keep bringing it back, keep bringing it back. When I'm trying to do it for myself, when I come up with a great idea and ask God to bless it, I have just humiliated the message of grace. I wonder if we hear the seriousness of this today. Do you recognize that the, the percentage of churches in America, particularly, that have bought back into that old religious mindset? Legalism is rampant. There are church buildings that are built in many places under guilt. People are afraid not to give because the preacher said it's going to cost you and your rewards one day when you stand before Jesus. And that guilt mindset comes over them. As a result of it, they begin their behavior changes and they lose that sense of love, and they lose that sense of the fullness of Christ and experiencing Him day by day. They literally humiliate the message of grace. They humiliate Him dying on the cross for their sins. Well, there are those who are doing just that. Paul says in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 18, many walk, for many walk, of whom I've often told you, and now tell you even weeping, that they're enemies of the cross of Christ. Paul said there are many, there are many. And if that was true in his day in Philippi, it's also true today in our day. He even identifies them in chapter 3 and verse 1 of Philippians. He says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Again, he said, to write the same things again is no trouble to me and it's a safeguard to you. And then he says, beware of the dogs. Whoa, Paul, that's a little tough, isn't it? He calls these religious people dogs. It's interesting that in the, in the Gospels, the, the Gentiles were called dogs. He's calling the Jews here, the Judaizers that say that you have to be circumcised. The law of Moses, that's the way to righteousness. He says, beware of the evil workers. Beware of the false circumcision. Folks, I, I don't know how to say it, but they're everywhere. They're everywhere. And they use the name of Jesus. Now put it right up in front of them. 
and you're constantly hearing them on tape and you're watching them on television and you're reading their books, I want you to know, filter through what's being said and find the root of where it's coming from. If it has anything to do with me trying to better myself in God's eyes, then automatically you're hearing a wrong message. The message is Wayne comes before God and offers him only one thing, sin, unworthiness, pride, and God says, thank you for being honest. I've never said you were any different. Now, let me exchange my presence, my fullness, my character, and that's what the Christian life is all about. That's the message of grace. Not me doing for him, but Christ being free to do and be in and through me. It's humiliating to the whole message of grace when we try to do something for God and ask Him to bless it. It's humiliating. But when we just get in touch with Him, ministry is received, it's not achieved. That's the difference. It's like, a, it's like when, it hit, when this hit me, it dawned on me that even though it has to be taught, it also has to be caught. And a little chain pulled in my mind, and it was like a light came on, and I've never been the same. That was 26 years ago in my life. And it's been incredible, the adventure since that time. Oh, have there been times that I've chosen to be foolish? Absolutely, I could write a book on how to do it. But every time, God brings me right back to the message that is so overwhelming in my life. And that is Jesus being Jesus in me. And that's what Paul's trying to say to these Galatians. Who has bewitched you? Who's put you under their spell? You understood when I preached it to you that Christ died for your sins. What are you doing trying to add to what he's already done? And then finally, we have the illustration. He wants to make sure we fully grasp what he's saying. Paul doesn't want anybody to be confused. So he says in verse 2 and 3, he has some questions here. But all, it says everything he wants to say. Verse 2. This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Now, that, this question is to you this morning also. It's to all of us. And this question is critical to his whole argument. He wants to know, how did you become a believer? How did you do that? Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the flesh or the law or by hearing with faith? You see, receiving the Spirit, by the way, is salvation. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Not earning, but receiving. Receiving the Spirit. When you ask Jesus to come to live in your heart, receiving Him into your heart. Did you do that by the works that you earned the right to do it? Or did you do it by faith? Did you realize that you couldn't save yourself and you cast yourself upon Him and you cried out to Him and received Him into your heart? You see, then what, if you didn't do it that way, then what did? He says, by hearing with faith, or by the works of the law. He puts a contrast here. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Hearing with faith, obviously. Everybody knows the answer to that. They knew the answer to that. Faith in Christ is the only means of salvation. There is no other means. I mean, there's some people who say, oh, no, no, no. Uh, you, can, you, can look, you can worship the school bus if you want to. I mean, you can believe anything you want to believe. Everybody believes, no. Jesus is the only way of salvation. And receiving Him by faith is the only way to be saved. Hearing with faith is important. The word hearing is the word akoi, which means to hear and fully understand. You realize that's the thing I pray more than anything else when we preach that people hear, but they understand. I can't give that understanding. The Holy Spirit has got to give that understanding. To hear and fully understand. Then the word with, hearing with faith, is not the word with. It's the word ek, E-K. It means out of faith. You see, the, the faith comes out of the hearing 
and the understanding. When you hear and you understand, within that is the faith to believe it. You might be here this morning, you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And suddenly it's beginning to come clear to you what He came to do. He came to live in you. That's what salvation's all about. Not just get you out of hell. He came to bring heaven to put it inside of you. And when you begin to see that, at that very moment, if you've never received Jesus, at that very moment of hearing and understanding, there is the, will, there is the ability to receive it. The faith is there. Romans 10, 17 says the same thing. So faith comes from hearing, and it's the same word. And hearing by the word of Christ. And the word from there is not from, it's out of. Born in the understanding, born in the message that is understood comes the, uh, the ability to receive it. Paul has preached the word of God to the Galatians. And it, as he began to preach it, God took over and gave them understanding. And as they began to understand and were broken by the crucifixion of Jesus and his resurrection and the gospel message, they received it. They, they reached out and they received Jesus into their life. So Paul is reminding them of this. And he wants to understand, did you receive, how did you receive Christ? Go back to the root. You didn't receive it by any works, you did. You received it by faith. When you heard the message, that it was clearly understood. He says in verse 3, after saying this now and asking that question, he says, are you so foolish? Because he already knows the answer, and he knows they know the answer. He says, are you so foolish? Are you so stupid? Are you so intentionally ignorant that having begun by the Spirit, now you're being perfected by the flesh? Don't you love that word picture, having begun? When you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it's a beginning, not an end. Isn't that awesome? The journey begins. I love that. Just think, some people say, well, this Christianity is getting old, but buddy, you don't know the Christ I know. I mean, every day is a fresh day. Every day is a brand new day on the journey. And it's a beginning, and it goes on for all of eternity. Having begun by the Spirit. He said, are you now, out now trying to be perfected by the flesh? And that word perfected there is the idea of accomplishing something. Are you trying to accomplish a righteous lifestyle by your own efforts? when you already know you couldn't accomplish salvation by your own efforts? He says, somehow this is not mixing. You've got to come back. The very thing that saved you is the very thing that sustains you, Christ in you. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 says, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you, same, same idea, he will perfect it, same exact word. He'll accomplish it until the day of Christ Jesus. You know, sometimes I feel so frail, and I just can't seem to verbalize what gets inside of me. I'm just trusting God's going to pull the chain in somebody's understanding, and they're going to say, whoa, wait a minute. Jesus lives in me? You mean to tell me all I need to do is get to know Him, be in His presence, let His Word renew my mind, transform my life? You mean to tell me when I start living as a vessel before Him, I don't have to worry about the works, that He will do the works through me? That is exactly it. That's Christianity. But when I have to come over here and come up with it, when I have to feel like if I miss my quiet time somehow, God's displeased with me, when I have to believe that, that if I didn't witness to somebody yesterday, I'm not a real true spiritual person, I have just put myself back into the most terrible, tragic, tragic situation that I can think of. You see, that's what religion does. It puts it up to you. Under grace, it's up to him. Under law, 
it's up to us. These Galatian believers knew good and well what Paul was saying. They knew the answers. He's just having to bring them back to sanity. In fact, they had lived this way at one time. Verse 4 says, did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? You know what he's referring to? He's referring back to Acts chapter 14 when the church was first formulated and, and they experienced grace and how they were persecuted for living under grace. And the very people that persecuted them are now the ones that they have bought back into and they have completely forgotten. Boy, have they been bewitched. Who has bewitched? You're living as if you don't have a clue. You're living as if you're under a spell. They were bewitched. Let me ask you a question. Anybody in here ever been bewitched in your Christian journey at all at any time? Anybody besides me? Well, about four of us. <laughs> Maybe after I'm here about a four years or five years, y'all will finally understand me and get honest with me. I guarantee you, you've been bewitched. Every one of us have. We ought to know this trap very well. If you've walked with God for any period of time, you already know what we're talking about here. The very moment that you begin to be overwhelmed by what you need to do rather than what God can do through you, you've just been duped. You've just been duped. No, sir, it's, a, it's in God. And God orchestrates life to drive us to this truth. Do you realize that? He puts us in certain circumstances that are so overwhelming we have to depend upon Him. And when we depend upon Him, we watch Him do what we, we know we can't do. And it just is awesome. And that's what begins to rekindle the message. Well, it's amazing what we think we can do to bless God. I can give you a lot of examples, but I, I, my time's running out. And besides that, I usually get myself in trouble when I start giving an example. The situation, they've been bewitched. Who's put a spell on it? The humiliation, by what they have done, they've slapped God in the face, they've slapped the message in the face, they've slapped Paul in the face, they've slapped Christianity in the face, and they've gone back to that old religious mindset. The old rotten flesh now is in, in control, and their relationships are completely ruined. You ever wonder how, how you can say such judgmental and critical things towards somebody and then turn right around and say you love Jesus in the same breath? That's a foolish man. That's a foolish believer, a woman or a man. That's foolishness. That is foolishness. It's going to have a behavioral change in your life when you choose not to let Jesus be Jesus in you. But I want to close this illustration. Now, I, there's a, the Okoe River is about 45 minutes from Chattanooga, Tennessee. It's a class four river. If you've ever whitewater rafted and like that kind of thing, I love it. That's, if you watched the Olympics a couple years ago, that's where the kayaking took place, on the Okoe River, right just, just right there near Chattanooga, Tennessee. And I remember one year when I first went to Woodland Park, I, I had a half-time uh, help. <laughs> I had one guy that was part-time as staff. And then I finally got him to full-time. Then I got another guy to come in half-time. So three of us, about the first three years. So I took him on the Okoe River. I figured, you know, if they don't have a prayer life, I'll give them one. <laughs> I mean, if you've never whitewater rafted, you don't know what I'm talking about. Son, you'll get right with God real quick. And we went through all those things, and it was just a great day. We got down to the last hole. Now, I don't want to offend you, but I can't help it. The name of it was Hell Hole. That's what they call it. Now, I don't know who came up with that, but that's everybody in the whole country knew that particular last hole of water. Now, I guess they called it that because it was a suck hole. Now, if you've never whitewater rafted, don't know what I'm talking about. It's, it's where the water is just... It's deep, it's fast, it's, it's a big water, and it sucks you down. When you go into it, it just sucks you right into it. 
it's like a like a suction cup and when you get down in it hopefully you'll come out of it and when you come out if you don't have a guide it can be really tricky so we stopped before we went through it he had to explain to us what we were going to go through it's a very uh delicate thing and i told the guys when the guy wasn't paying attention i said listen let's turn this thing over come on the guide overheard me he said you can't turn this thing over i've been doing this for years nobody can do it i said don't ever tell me that just don't ever tell me that I'm one of the ones that'll figure out a way to do it. And I told the guys, I said, listen, when we go down into it, everybody jump to the front of the raft because it's going to suck us right down into it. And I said, when it starts coming out, everybody jump to the back. And I think we can flip it over. So we go down in that suck hole. And it's really, a, if you've never done it, I'm telling you, it'll, it'll get you right. It took us down into that thing. And I mean, immediately we, we scrambled to the front of that raft. And as it was coming out, we jumped to the back. And to the surprise of the guide and everybody, we flipped that thing over. Next thing I knew, I was 75 yards at least when I came up out of the water. I was at the mercy of the current. You see, I didn't realize what, what was going to happen if, if I chose to do that. <laughs> that you're at the mercy of the water now, and it doesn't go where you think it's going to go. And I was 75 yards at least when I came up. I mean, I was underwater forever. And finally, when I came up, I was up against a brick, I mean, a cement uh, piling of a bridge. I hit that thing, and bang, and I grabbed the hold of it as much as I could. And I looked around, and I'm thinking, where am I? <laughs> And I looked for the other guys, and all of a sudden you see a head pop up, boop, you know, and one, boop, and everybody was doing the same thing. Where in the world are we? <laughs> you say, Wayne, why do you tell those stories? <laughs> when we choose, uh, it was my choice that day, do you know that? I took four guys with, three guys with me in my choice. And the result was, when we came out of it, we were at the mercy of what we had chosen. Nobody really knew where they were. Nobody really knew where it was taking them. And that's exactly what deception does in your life. Somebody makes a choice, and I guarantee you, you'll pull somebody down with you. Maybe it's a connections leader. Maybe it's an usher. Maybe it's a deacon. Maybe, who knows? Hey, maybe it's me. When we make that choice, it only takes one to suck everybody else right down to that, and put them at the mercy of the choice that they have made. And that's what religion will do. Watch out. The religious people are everywhere, folks. In the midst of it, be a believer and only trust Christ. For additional resources or to view our TV program, log on to jashow.org. That's jashow.org.